Hello everyone, good morning. This is Sarah from MIOSH. Welcome to today's webinar. Um, it's on emergency management planning and returning to the workplace and it'll be presented by the team at GreenCap. So before I introduce them, I just want to do a couple of quick things. With The, the, the session is being recorded. The, an email later today will go out with the recording, um, a slide, uh, a link to the slides and a link to some downloadable resources that we'll also post in the chat. Um, they're from GreenCap for if you need further information about the webinar. Um, any questions, please use the Q&A panel. If you want to ask me a direct question, then um, do that with the chat. And um, yes, thank you for joining us. So um, Trimivac, just a little bit about Trimivac and the moderator, because this is going to be a panel type webinar with a moderator and two other speakers. So Trimivac is GreenCap's specialised emergency management and training company providing a comprehensive range of emergency management, consulting and training services across Australia and New Zealand. And was regarded as one of Australia's leading emergency management and response training companies with a history of delivering client success since 1987. GreenCap itself has been leading the way in risk management and compliance in Australia since 1984. Our moderator today is Adam Hart. Um, Adam has over 30 years experience in sales and account management across several industries with an emergency management background including over 11 years as a volunteer firefighter with New South Wales Rural Fire, Fire Service as well as leadership account management and training roles with companies providing emergency management planning services. As um, the regional national manager of business development and key accounts Adam provides advice to large national portfolios covering metropolitan, regional and remote sites through to individual tenants, including ensuring Trimivac services meet the requirements of standards and regulations. So here's over to you, Adam, and thank you for your team for joining us today. Thank you, Sarah, and welcome everybody. Um, with me today is Michael Hutchison, uh, Head of Trimivac, and Mark Blewett, our National Training and Compliance Manager. Uh, Michael has over 20 years experience uh, in the industry working with uh, workplace emergency management sector and has held several senior executive roles during this time. He's worked closely with government departments and private sector organisations to design and implement comprehensive emergency management programs. And in his current role as head of Green Caps, Trimavac, he has operational leadership responsibility for all aspects of the emergency management business. He's also been an active member on various technical committees and special interest groups within the emergency management field and represented the Fire Protection Association of Australia on the AS3745-2010 Planning for Emergencies and Facilities Standards Committee. Uh, Mark Blewett has been with Trimavac for the last five years. Uh, Mark is an experienced emergency management practitioner. He has 18 years in the armed forces and 18 years in the uh, rural fire services and with community li liaison experience. Uh, in his role as National Training and Compliance Manager, Mark is responsible for developing and maintaining our high standards of training uh, that we deliver at Trimavac. He's also been involved in safety assessments of large organisations and has reported on many incidents for clients in relation to the effectiveness of their emergency procedures post-incident. Right. Um, prior to the onset of the COVID situation, managing emergency management in many facilities was a relatively straightforward task. Those responsible compliance managers were scheduled uh, Warden numbers were stable, evacuation diagrams had expiry dates to ensure their review was on time. The COVID-19 pandemic has just disrupted businesses and facilities managers' plans for maintaining compliance and creating pressing needs to relocate staff, adapt business practices and technology. 
and maintain, and maintain or manage a building with very few occupants in some circumstances. As Australia's states and territories progress through the different stages of restrictions, how should emergency management uh, be continued? And, and how do you plan for the return of your workplace? The ongoing disruption to all our businesses since COVID-19 is leaving much of the workforce working from home with some buildings remaining occupied, many partially occupied, or, or skeleton staff in some buildings. So what's going to change? So I'm going to hand over to Michael and Michael's going to talk about what's changed in emergency management. Oh, sorry, no, we're going to a poll, my mistake. So Sarah. Okay, I've lodged the poll. I hope everyone can see that um, first question. Please um, just answer the first question. Unfortunately, I'm supposed to do them one at a time, but um, they've both come up, so you could probably answer both. So at the moment, Adam, we have um, it's about 30% voted. It's about 40% now. It's like watching a race. <laughs> okay, just a few more seconds and then we should get to about 80% and then I'll end that. I think we've probably got all the ones we have. And there you go. Um, yeah, unfortunately, it's launched both polls, but there you go. Adam? Um, can we see the results? Or yep, they're coming just okay. now. All right, so look, this is fairly typical of the kind of response that we've got from most of the clients we're dealing with at the moment. Um, some are prepared, many are, are still planning, uh, and some haven't started. And I'm sure that's based on when you think you're going to return to your workplace. Um, Obviously, social distancing is another one of those things in progress. Uh, it's probably the thing we're having to dance around. Um, I think one of the states talked about dancing and dance and hammer for, for how they're going to manage it. So uh, working with, with social distancing is an interesting problem. So that leads us into how do we prepare for emergency management and where do we go from here? So the thing we probably need to consider is what's changed or is anything going to change? And Michael, would you like to discuss? Yeah, <clears throat> thanks, uh, Adam. I suppose, in short, what, what's changed? Well, nothing's changed. Nothing's changed when it comes to an employer's uh, responsibility uh, and requirements, legal requirements, moral uh, requirements to maintain a safe workplace. So that's that's first and foremost. And I can understand how you know COVID. Obviously, it's a it's a major impact to not only our working lives but our, our personal lives. And a lot of focus is on that at the moment and will continue to be on it for, for the foreseeable future. But um, there is risk that we uh, get distracted, I suppose, and we, we drop the ball on some of the other key safety um, uh, issues we need to consider in our workplace. Um, and, and, there's, and there's many and they're many and varied uh, depending on the nature of the work you're in. But today we want to focus um, particularly on uh, emergency management in that workplace what it looks like, um, has it changed? So the, the requirements, um, you know, and, and certainly the drivers for this haven't changed at all. It, it's underpinned by our uh, work health and safety legislation. 
uh, and the regulations and the codes of practice and so forth and uh, and the um, you know the uh, standards that are out there. We have a standard AS three seven four five which we uh, operate and, and work to, and that's uh, that's adapted uh, you know to to suit all businesses. But the the message is very very clear that we still need to um, adhere to that and ensure that regardless of the uh, the uh, amount of employees, perhaps in our uh, usual work environment, we still have to ensure their safety and well-being. So that's what uh, our, our focus will be on today, is just helping you to, to understand what perhaps needs to be done um, as part of this uh, return to work and planning. Um, so with, uh, if you could just advance that slide through there. So that duty of care, as I said, uh, is still there. And some of the th things that we now need to factor into this is the, uh, the response to COVID and uh, and the social distancing requirements in our workplace with emergency management. And this is something that we, we're being asked uh, fairly regularly at the moment. Um, what do we do? What do we need to do to take all that into account, uh, particularly, you know, with um, uh, lockdowns and shelter in place and, and also with evacuations of buildings. So that's something we'll be um, uh, touching on, on today. Um, and also we'll be looking at the the changes to how we're working and the flexible working environments now, and, and a lot of people um, uh, at, are still at home and still working from that home uh, environment, and uh, we're going to be um, capturing that in, in this uh, webinar this morning. But the message is very, very clear, um, Adam, that it, it's business as usual when it comes to um, maintaining our safe workplace and, and the safety and well-being of our employees. All right, so obviously there's going to be some new ways of working. Mark, can you have a talk about what's changed in that area? Yeah, a lot of people now, of course, are working from home. The environment has changed considerably for us because uh, the uh, having to work at that particular um, situation, you, you still have to have an emergency preparedness for homes as well because the the duty of care for the employer still goes to the home because that is now the workplace. So providing your staff with a checklist of um, what they should have at home, some of the things that are uh, required, you would have seen a lot of that during the bushfires, uh, having a plan for preparedness. So it's those sorts of things that, that they need to have a checklist saying what's going to affect you at home, it's also working at home, that environment, uh, what distractions you have. We have heard a story recently where uh, somebody was on a, a teleconference and they had been cooking their lunch and forgot about it. So one must make sure that they are aware of their environment at home. The other thing too that's happening is that a lot of people are now being scheduled to go to work. Um, and we also have training sessions for those at home as well. So between the workplace and home, you need to know, know how your environments have changed, uh, particularly as far as emergency management goes. If you're going to be scheduled to go back to work, you need to be familiar with your workplace emergency plans. You need to be trained before you go back to the work site as well, because a lot of procedures have changed, particularly in evacuations and so on. Um, the, that's really the main thing is, is making sure that your staff have got the same um, process in place. So having an emergency plan for the home and they practice it as well. That needs to be done. 
Great. Thanks, Mark. We'll move along. So I think we had the, the next poll question set up for that. So we'll, we'll keep going past that. So obviously social distancing is, is one of those requirements we're all going to have to chase. So returning to the workplace, um, there's a lot to do when we return to the workplace. So what do we need to consider in our plan, Michael? Uh, yeah, thanks, Adam. So look, it's it's important that, um, oops, sorry, I just turned my uh, video back on for you. It's a, it's a, look, it's a, it's a, um, it's time to review our plans. Emergency procedures, uh, emergency plans should be reviewed uh, at least annually, but certainly after an incident, and I certainly classify this as an incident now. So it's a good time to to review that and um, and adjust and adapt it to the new ways of working. And that's going to mean involving, um, you know, consultation with, uh, so your emergency planning committee should be looking, consulting with the, um, the your employees and the various um, departments and the business, but also um, engaging with your building managers. Uh, so if you're a tenant within a, a multi-tenanted building, you need to understand um, if anything, what changes have been made um, uh, to the emergency procedures for the building. And uh, it's also about, um, um, sorry, it's been disrupted there. Uh, it's also about uh, looking at uh, various training um, options for employees. So Mark mentioned how we're working from home at the moment. Um, I suppose employees should consider some tools and some training to support that and help them um, with those with that planning for the home workplace, but also start to prepare them for the transition back into their normal place of work. It is a requirement um, within the standard anyway that all employees are inducted into their workplace when they, when they commence employment and they understand the emergency procedures and the roles of the wardens and their evacuation areas and so forth. Um, and that should be uh, refreshed every 12 months. So each 12 months that they're supposed to, um, you know, revisit that and refresh their understanding of the alarms and the emergency procedures. So what we're suggesting now is as you start to prepare that uh, return to work plan, uh, think about that and try to involve um, your, your team in it and upskill them, get them back uh, thinking about the other workplace and thinking about you know, not just the social distancing piece and the hygiene practices that obviously are important, but what to do when those alarms go off in the building or, or some other type of uh, an incident has impacted that workplace. Um, so we, we're encouraging uh, employees to take this opportunity to um, retrain, if you like, all, all the staff, uh, and also to start to think about the the role of the warden, the, the wardens in a building. Um, are there adequate numbers? So if we're looking at return to work with perhaps, um, you know, week on, week off, or, or some split, um, you know, split the week, three days, two days, we want to make sure within that, it's not just the uh, operational um, uh, needs of the business, but it's also the the spread of wardens across those ships. So it may mean that you know you need to adjust the 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 um, the, the team to to capture the wardens, or you just simply uh, look for more volunteers to get some more people to be trained up to allow for that. Um, and they're, they're the sort of things that you know hopefully um, you know people are considering this, and the businesses um, have got in, got that as part of their plan. But the, uh, I suppose the point of this today is just to serve as a reminder that uh, it is important we've got those things in place um, to ensure that the what if, and it's all about what if with, the, with emergencies, if it does, if the you know, worst happens, we, uh, we have the best possible um, out outcome at the end of the day. Um, so 
yeah, so that strategy, that return on work planning uh, needs to be, um, you know, thorough, take into account those things, um, get proper advice around it if, if you don't have the, uh, you know, resources um, available in-house and uh, ensure that the staff hit the ground running. Don't wait till they've come back into the building and then you've got to look at doing that. You can start, you can start that process now, if you like, as you gradually return and, um and that way you're not, um, you're not left uh, exposed should something happen. So, Michael, what do we need to include in our emergency plan? Um, well, look, what, the things that in the emergency plan that currently we're there still obviously all exist. The one thing that um, we're adding to our plans and, and procedures uh, for, for clients is, you know, a piece around the a pandemic plan there now and uh, capturing that. And there are, you know, you mentioned earlier, Adam, you know, what changes? You said, are there changes? Well, there are some changes in how we perhaps um, respond uh, to an incident. And we've, we've had, um, we've had you know, questions come to us about, uh, you know, what do we do if we need to evacuate? Alarm goes off in the building and the concerned about, I suppose, taking people into... Um, in groups into fire stairwells and, and all social distancing all of a sudden becomes an issue um, as, you, as you're uh, trying to move people into to fire stairs. And what we would say to people there is that if you're at uh, imminent risk, you've got smoke coming down the corridor, then I think that uh, outweighs the, uh, the, the the risk of perhaps uh, contracting COVID uh, as, during the evacuation of a building. So it's about using some common sense. If it was, if it was only a, a drill or a practice exercise, then you can take some measures to uh, accommodate a more orderly and, um, you know, move, movement of people and, uh, and plan the, uh, the distancing a little bit better. But certainly when the, uh, the risk is, is uh, you know, nipping away at your heels, um, that's probably not what something you want to be too worried about. Um, but we do have to think about the assembly areas themselves too, because we have people all congregating at assembly points and, um, and, and uh, that uh, leads to um, some issues there when we're looking at trying to maintain social distancing. So it's about some common sense and how can we disperse those groups a little bit more and, and so forth. So we need to review those, uh, review those areas and um, look at perhaps alternative spaces or just um, how we disperse, the, uh, disperse people once they've left the building. Um, the, um, the other thing, the training considerations, and that's something we've had to, as a business, uh, adjust and adapt to, to allow for people to still continue to, uh, to maintain their requirements within the training space. Um, where, and we sort of, we saw that fairly early in the piece with face-to-face -face, uh, training, perhaps becoming, um, a, um, you know, um, not, not, not the way to do things unless you've got a particularly large room and a small amount of people, but, um, we did better quickly and moved to more web-based type training, <clears throat> which has proved very um, successful and it still enables those wardens. And even if they're at home, I mean, and this is something else that I think has been a little bit um, oh, confusing for people. Do, do we need to keep our warden training up to date if we're not actually in the building? Well, the answer to that is, is yes, we do. It's like any type of skill. You need to maintain your skill. It doesn't matter where you're located, you can still be trained. And you can have that um, those uh, that skills retention maintained, so that the day you do move back into the building, whether it be next week or in a month's time, you're still um, compliant. And, and on that piece, that's particularly important when it comes to um, certification within buildings. We, we're regularly asked to sign off on documents to certify that the building has maintained all their emergency management and uh, evacuation uh, procedures. It's, it's part of. Um, you know, compliance in a lot of buildings and of course we check our records and if it hasn't been maintained well we're not able to do that and that could affect 
um, you know, the building there as well. So that, that's got to be taken into consideration. Great, thank you, Michael. Um, so you've, you've changed your plans and you've done it for your business. What, what do you need to do if you're working in a tentative building, Mark, and you've got a plan and your building might have a different one? Yeah, well, I think one of the big things is making sure that you uh, communicate any changes that you've made to your personal plans for your particular company to a facility manager if you're in a multi-tenant building. One of the things you've got to do is make sure that you schedule a meeting with your manager because the other one is the reverse, is what has changed within the building uh, as far as entry uh, restrictions go uh, and also how many people to a floor. All those sorts of things now have changed. So those new arrangements should be communicated between yourselves and the facility managers as well so that you're all on the same page. Uh, you know, as Michael referred to before, one of the things that I've, as part of the compliance side, is that I've been asked to provide a compliance certificate for a building who, at the beginning of this situation, canned all training together. Uh, so it, it, it's all out, you know, so we're not doing anything until we come back to the building. But the interesting thing is they've had people in the building and they should have had training. They should have continued their training. In fact, that's what WorkCover has um, stated, that they must take all um, possible steps to make sure that they're still fulfilling their compliance needs. Uh, so I think that communication between your facilities managers and yourselves um, is most important to make sure that you have that compliance. Great, thanks Mark. Now, we prepared a couple of case studies just to give you some examples of the kinds of things we've been talking to with clients uh, over the last uh, what, 10 weeks, 12 weeks, 13 weeks, I suppose this has been running now. So the, the first case study um, is a reduced occupancy um, planning for a, a building. So we have a large national client with industrial, um, retail and commercial facilities. And they moved all their teams into uh, what they would describe as A and B teams, so so that they didn't have overlap. So if there was any uh, infection amongst any of the groups, they had a group that would remain COVID-free. Um, so the challenge was um, when they split the into the two teams, which made sense for the way they wanted to run their business, they were really heavy with wardens uh, in one team and almost no wardens in the other team. Um, and what they also lacked was a lot of education about what to do in, in case of an emergency uh, in regards to social distancing and an emergency disease response. Um, and this needed to be done quickly. Um, the situation had changed, they needed to move their staff quickly. Uh, the particular focus was on shopping centres uh, with large public areas um, and without the organisational control that we would normally have in, inside your business where people are trained and everyone understands the hierarchy moving around. So we had to tailor, tailor the training uh, to, to suit the client and the client's needs. We moved it to web-based, uh, obviously that worked with social distancing. It also gave us a lot of reach to get to many of their sites, uh, which helped them uh, get this done quickly. They upgraded their emergency preparedness um, and informed their team of the practical skills. So practical things uh, at the time were, what do we do if someone's presenting with a high temperature or fever and it's been reported? Uh, what we didn't want to do was go and press an alarm. So I think like they did famously in one of the large buildings in Victoria and empty an entire building and mix everybody up on the street and then into the assembly area uh, without managing what was going on. So the kind of response was a word of mouth response. They would communicate to tenants um, directly and then move people away in, in a nice controlled manner with no 
impending emergency like fire or smoke, there is plenty of time to react. And this is what people needed to understand and be trained in. Um, what we didn't want people was rushing unnecessarily. Uh, and, and particularly in the beginning of the COVID responses, social distancing was very new. Um, the uh, infectious of, uh, infectiousness of the disease was still relatively unknown. Um, so the more we could train people and get people to relax about what was required to do if they had an emergency, um, the better. And so we were able to, to communicate, I think we did about 60 different people uh, across three, three different sessions in, in about a week and a half, and that brought them, their people back up to speed. Um, they've had to do more ongoing work and review it. Obviously, things have changed um, as, as we've gone on changes in different states as obviously the Victorian experience is playing out at the moment uh, and other states are going back to normal. So at one end of the country, you've got people going back into lockdown. And the other end of the country, you've got people moving freely. So there's very, for national companies, there's a lot of very, a uh, lot of considerations to go on at the moment with that one. The second case study uh, is a large uh, New South Wales government department moving back into a building. Uh, and it's a brand new building. So this is a building that staff hadn't been uh, hadn't occupied and to be honest most of the staff hadn't even seen the building um, so the building wasn't ready to be accessed by any of the staff uh, for their normal walkthroughs etc uh, when COVID hit it was still a construction site um, so nobody had seen the building so we've got 3,000 staff from seven departments and five different locations across Sydney moving into one building um, and many of the staff have been working from home for the last three months. So they've been out of a building and we're going back into a new building. Um, so we developed a consultation process uh, in, in line with all the, the new procedures. That consultation process took maybe six to eight weeks. Um, obviously a government department, a large numbers of people in different departments and locations. There was a lot of communication that had to happen, um, organising assembly areas and the kinds of procedures that would happen. Most importantly was having wardens on site when people came back in. Now they're doing a staged, um, for occupant, occupancy of the building. So 3,000 staff won't be there on day one. So the first week this happened in mid-June, I think two or 300 people moved in in one week. Um, by the end of September, they're planning to have all 3,000 moved in. So they needed wardens on site. Now the problem they've had with, with who was going to be on site and what time were they working. So they've introduced staggered work times. Um, you've got many different wardens and you needed to get them trained prior to going to the building because nobody was sure quite who would be on site at what time uh, and so to have warden coverage, we needed to train all the wardens. So for 3,000 people, they, they nominated 135 wardens. So we managed to train 135 wardens over five different web-based sessions to ensure that uh, people were available and could attend the training. The training included all the latest uh, pandemic information that we have and, and things that were relevant to them moving into a new building. Uh, so that took a while to, to organise and, and to communicate, lots of toing and proing. We also had to conduct evacuation exercises. One of, one of the difficulties uh, during this time when you're conducting web-based training is actually doing physical uh, uh, evacuation processes, which is required by the standard. We've done a lot of desktop evacuation exercises or shelter in place in different situations to cover off people so that they, they remain compliant and have the right sort of training for their business or the environment or the site that they're working on. So we got three groups in to, to do uh, training. Um, the funny thing about that was all the UARing about working into a new building, but we had to take people for a walkthrough for their building. Uh, so it was a like, as I explained the dance earlier, it was like the dance in a shopping centre where everyone maintains their social distance but moves around quite carefully. Um, we had to show them where the exits were. We had to show them what the stairwells looked like. We had to 
demonstrate the procedures. Uh, this particular building had fire curtains. We needed to explain how things would work in this building. So we ran them through, we ran them as walkthroughs. Um, Michael's point earlier that um, while, while we can run a nice walkthrough and there's plenty of time to evacuate if there's no impending emergency, if you've got spire and smoke, of course, this was all out the window because um, saving your life uh, over, over potentially catching um, the virus obviously takes precedent. We need to, we need to get people out. Um, the assembly area was chosen. Um, the assembly area is a bit funny. It's actually an oval. So you've almost got people walking single file around an oval to keep themselves spread out. Uh, but that done, we managed to get 135 wardens trained. We, we managed to get them familiar with the building and they started moving in. Um, so it's been a success from their point of view. Um, there's a lot of, um, I can't think of a better phrase than suck it and see, so to see how, how this is going to play out as they all go into the building because they haven't had an emergency uh, and people are still moving into the business. But that's the kind of challenge that's a, a very real challenge for a business. So here's a bunch of people who've been out of work or out of the office, I should say, out of the workplace for at least three, three months. Um, they came from five different locations and, and it hadn't even been in those locations for the last three months. So the education and training piece was really, really important to get people back up to speed. Um, people needed to re-acclimatise, if you like, or, or make themselves familiar with the procedures. Um, what it's like to be a warden is one thing, what it's like to be a warden in a brand new building and how that's going to work and how that works with social distancing and the requirements of, of working in a, in a workplace where you don't know who's at work and what time. The other thing we did, actually, warden caps was the other thing. So uh, this, de this department decided that everybody would have an individual warden cap. Uh, there's obviously issues around cleaning, handling, um, and sharing of different things. So they actually ordered individual warden caps for their wardens rather than having them hung up in a cupboard, which is really common. So whoever's a warden that day goes and puts on the warden cap. Um, so wardens were going to have individual wardens. Obviously, a few issues. You know, Maybe if, my, if I'm not at my desk and I'm two floors up, um, and the alarm goes off, what do I do? Um, but those things are covered so everyone's safe. So that, that's two case studies that give us a, a bit of an example of what the kind of considerations that people have having, been having to make um, during this time. So that, that's the bulk of our presentation. What, what we've got now is questions. So if anybody has any questions specifically about uh, anything we've talked about today or anything that they're interested in or something that potentially we haven't covered, please uh, uh, let us know. Okay, well, we don't have any questions uh, just now, but that always seems to change within a few seconds. So we'll just wait. Um, there is a link that I mentioned at the start of the uh, webinar to some downloadable resources that is now in the chat. Um, session. Somebody has asked, is it possible to get a copy of the slide pack? And definitely there'll be an email going out um, later today with a link to the downloadable slides and the video. Um, but Adam, if there are further questions, I believe you're going to be able to see these. Um, one that has come through to the chat from Kate Martin is she's interested in details on the online warden training. I think um, someone will be able to get back to Kate. There's probably um, information in that um, downloadable uh, links that we've attached to the chat also. Um, so just waiting for a few more questions.
I think it's okay. Adam, do you want to take that one from Andrew? Uh, yeah, sorry. In terms of doing work by. Yeah, so that this, yeah, so working from home, um, I might hand out that back that one to you, Mark. Yeah, that's not a problem. Yes, the um, again, it's the main thing is by uh, checking the workplace from home is firstly giving them a plan uh, to follow what they need and have a checklist that they can bring back to you. Uh, in, in the past, and in fact, with a company I worked for once, they even asked to take a photograph of our office and send that through so they could uh, see the condition or, that you're working in. Uh, because, because of the way things have happened, some people are working in quite awkward places and having to move around the house because of uh, disruptions from family and so on. So, uh, yeah, the best thing is to have a checklist prepared for them. Uh, from working from home and we can help with that. All right, there's another question here that says, I was under the impression warden training needed to be face-to-face -to, -face to be compliant. Um, look, face-to-face -face is, is ideal uh, and preferred. It's the best method of training. Uh, one, of the, one, of the, one of the parts of the standard says wardens must meet at least uh, once a year. And part of that is, is in the training session. So wardens get to, uh, to sit and, just, and, and um, and meet and discuss uh, the kinds of things that are going on in their building. Uh, that's usually facilitated during the training process. So you bring all the wardens together uh, during face-to-face -face session. It's much easier to uh, talk to the building. You know, people will have uh, direct questions about the building itself, the procedures in that building, uh, what they need to do. Um, the thing about having face-to-face -to -face too is everyone's in the same room together. They can share information. They can actually get to meet the other wardens in a building, particularly if you're in a multi-tenanted building. Um, it's quite quite interesting that how many wardens haven't met each other, and yet they're going to be working together uh, if, if the need arises to evacuate an entire building. Um, it's very good for clarifying uh, what to do. Um, we can focus on different aspects of the training or put weight on different parts of the things that are, that are more relevant as people ask questions uh, during training. Um, ideally, face-to-face -face is, is the best method. So um, we've managed with uh, web-based during the COVID situation to, because of the need to, one, to uh, social distancing has caused a few issues. Other clients have done multiple sessions. So this hasn't been necessarily been feasible. So if you've got people um, scattered to the four winds, like some of the organizations we've had, you've had people working from home, people moved to different locations, uh, but still holding wooden responsibilities for that particular site. We've been able to, to capture them all with web-based training. Uh, it's been particularly useful for remote, remote and regional sites uh, where travel has been restricted uh, during this current time. Uh, but the ideal situation is face-to-face -face training. It's, um, it's, it's the best method, uh, the most efficient, and does tick off that area in, in the standard that requires wardens to meet at the same time. So hopefully that answers you, that, that question. If I could just, just add to that, Adam, too, look, it's, it's, it's a case of, I think, the key thing here is that we, um, we're still trying to, um, we're still trying to achieve um, what needs to be done. Uh, and it, it does require a, adapting how we normally operate. Um, and as Adam said, you know, I think for most people, they would prefer to meet face-to-face, -face, um, particularly for warden training, but it, um, but in terms of a compliance piece, I think that was where the question, are we still compliant? Yeah, certainly from a, a Trimovac perspective, we're, we're still ticking that box to say you are. 
because um, we're long as we're still providing that um, that uh, contact, that support, that training with people uh, th um, through the web-based methods, uh, we're still we're still covering the same content, um, and we're still providing that support to the warden team, uh, and we're we're quite comfortable in saying yes, you're still compliant in that space. Uh, the other one, how do you manage evac training when you have essential services that cannot be shut down? Mark, do you want to talk to that one? <laughs> um, the evacuation training, one of the things that we do do is we can do partial evacuations. We have situations where we have call centres um, where they cannot leave the phones. Um, so what we do is we'll do uh, a, a couple of uh, evacuation exercises where one half of the uh, staff will do go through the evacuation exercise uh, while the, re the other half remain on the phones and then on the next exercise it's the other way around so we do cover it that way. I think Michael just demonstrated an evacuation. Um, <laughs> all right there's a question from Kelly do you want to take that Adam? Yep, so it says, is the term warden training referring to a health and safety representative um, in Canada? I, 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 to be honest, I'm not sure about the, the Canadian uh, situation, but M Michael, do you want to talk to that one? What was that question again regarding Canada? Is the warden training, is the term warden for training referring to a health and safety representative? So there's a question about Canada. Oh. From Canada, look, uh, warden's an old, an old term that's been uh, used for in different industries for different reasons. I'm not quite sure about in, in Canada in particular, but it, it seems to be more widely uh, accepted uh, around the world now. In, certainly, when we talk about uh, a person who can orchestrate and help um, an evacuation process and marshal people, um, so um, I don't know what. You know, whether there's any other roles that, that fall under warden, the ward title of warden in Canada, but I, but I know uh, in the US, uh, UK, they still refer to wardens. Yeah, it's a, I mean, generally here, it's anybody that's that's trained and capable of assisting in any kind of emergencies that go to people. I mean, a first aider is a first aider. The warden is normally trained in the response for the building and the emergency systems in, in the building as well. So. Um, yeah, they're responsible people for your floor. They're normally uh, chosen as responsible people uh, to assist in, in different kinds of emergencies. It may be to, to get a first aider if, if required. It may be to alert the building. Uh, it may be to run the evacuation. So if that's the role that a health and safety representative has in Canada, then yes, they're similar, but um, happy to take that on advice and, and, and come back with more information if, you, if you've got anything more specific about that one. Okay, well, we don't seem to have any further uh, questions. So um, we'll take uh, this opportunity to remind you that there is a link in that chat for the downloadable, downloadable resources and a link to our upcoming webinars and podcasts um, this month or July. We have quite a few on safety differently, which is always very popular, including um, one from David Proben, who is also very popular, and Kim Bancroft from Urban Utilities in Queensland. So um, we will be sending a podcast out too with that video, just a reminder, because some people it's easier to listen to in the car. Um, so I'd like to thank um, gentlemen for joining us today and hope we can have you all back one day. We've had a couple of Green Cat webinars and they're always very good um 
uh, that Kelly has just sent a message saying thank you. She just wanted to ensure she was understanding the role you were discussing. Um, but anyway, thank you everyone for joining us. And if there are any questions, there'll be um, contact details for Green, the Green Cap team in the email as well. So thank you, Mark. Thanks, Adam. And thanks, Michael. Hope you have a really uh, good day. Thank thanks. You. Okay, bye. Thank you, bye.